you think you know what we're going to talk about. And welcome back to Three Fates Decide. It just sounds more dramatic that way. All right, so this week we are going to be talking about... But just when you least expect it, we changed the game. One Will Smith slot Chris Rock. I mean, we always celebrated Easter. Here's part of the Half-Blood Prince. So we're going to do another free talk, freestyle thing, no planned discussion. At the end of the day, only one thing matters. We decide. We're going to hit the main highlights. That is the thing that we were saying back in that episode. Quick recap. Three Fates Decide podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Three Fates Decide. My name is Sam, and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Mary and Liz. Say hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. And also, for this episode and the next episode, we have a special guest straight from the room next door from me, my sister, Jennifer. Say hello, Jennifer. Hello. And for the next two episodes, we are going to be discussing... The British royal family scandals, and definitely more recent. So pretty much from the abdication of King Edward to the current. But we're going to leave really the more current, which is basically the Harry Meghan buckle right now, to next episode. But we'll do everything else today. Because <laughs> basically, Jennifer and I were talking about it, and two things have drastically changed the royal family. So here we'll talk about that kind of stuff instead of going deep into the archives of the royal family. Yeah, because we'd need like a six-part mini-series to cover all that. Seriously. Pretty much. And I asked Jennifer to come because she's really the only person I know that knows that much about the royal family. She loves the history of all royal families and not just British. But So yeah, I thought she was a good person to add to a show this day. Yeah, let's just get right into it and we'll start with Edward Eighth who abdicated his throne. Jennifer, what happened? Essentially, he was the first English monarch to voluntarily give up his throne. It had never happened in the history of the United Kingdom or England or Scotland. And basically, it came down to he wanted to marry Wallace Simpson. He was not going to be allowed to marry Wallace Simpson. And he was basically given a choice, give her up or give up the throne. And he decided to give up the throne. And as a result... Everything changed because now that's how pretty much Elizabeth got in line to be queen. Because if King Edward or David hadn't abdicated, he most likely would have married a proper woman and had children of his own, at least you would think. So most likely Elizabeth would not have become queen. And who knows what would have happened because also Wallace and David were Nazi sympathizers. So World War II would have been interesting. Right. Yeah. Even if he didn't abdicate, it really does depend like on whether he actually followed through with marrying Wallace or not. Because if he's still dead and they actually allowed him to, they never had kids. So in a sense, Princess Elizabeth still would have wound up being eventually the queen. But right. Yeah. He really wanted what's called organatic marriage. And there was examples of this in other European royal houses where basically they get married, but the wife doesn't hold any titles. Any children they have don't hold any titles. It's basically just like a marriage in name. It doesn't have any impact on a line of succession. And that was one of the things that he 
proposed was that he be allowed to marry her and it be morganatic so she wouldn't be queen she wouldn't get a title she wouldn't get an allowance any children they had would not be in the line of succession and basically the only person who was on his side was winston churchill parliament members of the cabinet all of the other countries within the empire all said absolutely not his biggest problem was that the Church of England did not recognize divorce. She was still married to her second husband when all this happened. They considered that marriage to be bigamous because they didn't recognize the first divorce. In the UK, because the king or the monarch is head of the Church of England, by law, they have to be in communion with the church in order to be monarch. And he was going to break that law. So the Church of England was against him. He was breaking the law, basically. And every other country within the empire basically said, we won't agree to this. Your choices are to give her up or give up the throne. And he refused to give her up. It was great. Yeah. In a way, you could give it a spin of it's very romantic that he was in, he loved her so much that he gave up his life, his country, who he was for her. The Americans were the only ones who wanted it to happen, which Kind of makes sense because she was American. His mother, Queen Mary, thought that she was holding him under some kind of sexual spell. Apparently, they had an S&M type relationship. She treated him extremely badly and he was okay with that. He liked that. She wasn't faithful to him. The general consensus was she was out for the money. She was out for the jewels. He spent a lot of money on her. He bought her a lot of jewels. She wanted the title. She wanted to be queen. She wanted all the stuff that came with it. They didn't get married for almost a year after he abdicated because it took that long for her to actually go through with the divorce. So, yeah, it was romantic in the sense that he was willing to give everything up. But at the same time, he was basically being held under the spell of somebody who really didn't care for him so much. Just, he was an odd person. Yeah, well, and he, it was the, probably one of the dumbest things that he could have done. Absolutely. I'll say that. It was probably one of the dumbest things he could have ever done. And it took 30 years after the abdication. He wasn't invited back to the UK for an official event for 30 years. So that's how long his family just basically ostracized him. He came back for his brother's funeral. He came back for his mother's funeral, but he wasn't officially invited back by the family for 30 years. They all blamed him for the death of his brother. Pre-war, they were Nazi sympathizers. There was a plan by the Nazis to basically, when they won, to overthrow his brother and to install Edward as a puppet king. There was a lot of things that really didn't come out at the time until much, much later. I think it was probably a good thing that he abdicated and allowed his brother and then his niece to take the throne. But at the time, the British public were in the dark for almost the entire thing. They really didn't find out till the end. Yeah. Crazy. Justice for Bertie. That's all I have to say. Poor Bertie. He deserved so much better. But as a result, obviously, his brother came king and then Elizabeth became queen and Margaret, while still princess, I almost wonder, because we're going to get into her affair that she had with Peter Townsend next, but I wonder if their father didn't become king, would she be allowed to marry whoever she wanted or because she's still royal family? Would it still have made that much of a difference? But pretty much Princess Margaret fell in love with a divorced man who was 16 years her senior, Peter Townsend, who 
also worked for her father. And once again, the British government refused to allow them to marry, which caused quite the scandal. And I also wonder, obviously, Hollywood takes liberties, but in The Crown, did it really cause almost like a rift between Elizabeth and Margaret? So Jennifer shaking her head. So I'm saying I'm guessing not. <laughs> but yeah, pretty much a similar thing. But they wound up uh, shipping Towson off to get them apart. But the queen was okay with it. Her mother was okay with it. It was the government that once again stepped in and said, nope. And Prince Philip was the only family member against it. I don't know if her father hadn't become king, if that would have mattered, because it still would have been against the Church of England. She possibly could have gone to Scotland and gotten married because it wouldn't have been against church doctrine in Scotland. That's where the Princess Royal, Princess Anne, got married for her second marriage. They went up to Scotland because it wasn't against church doctrine. I don't know if it would have made a difference, but yeah, the crown plays it pretty straightforward to begin with. Yes, the entire government was against it. Yes, they told her to wait till she was 25 because under the Royal Marriages Act of 1772, once she was 25, she no longer needed royal assent for her marriage, but the difficulties didn't go away once she turned 25. He was still a divorced man with a living spouse. You can be divorced, and if your spouse is no longer living, well, then you're free to remarry because your spouse is no longer living. The problem with Margaret and with King Edward is that the spouses were still living. But they say, it's allegedly, that they didn't fall in love until after the king died. I think there was attraction there beforehand, but their relationship didn't become like a relationship until after the king died. And part of me wonders if it was because the king died. She was extremely close to her father, as well as I know how difficult it is to lose your father when you're that close to them. And it's generally not suggested that you jump into a relationship when you're going through that grief process. So part of me almost wonders if it was so strong and such a love or infatuation, if it wasn't because she was grieving and was just looking for something that was going to make her feel better. The government was against it. Prince Philip was against it. The queen and the queen mother were not against it. They wanted her to be happy. Unfortunately, everybody else was against it. They sent him away for two years, which they knew was going to happen. Like it wasn't a surprise. They were allowed to communicate with each other throughout the two years. And then when they came back, all of a sudden they broke up. So was it that the separation worked and those two years helped her through the grieving process a little bit more? She found out who she was, the growing up process. You're 25 now. You're different than when you're 21, 22, all of that. The only thing is that the queen, according to the National Archive, they released this in 2004, the queen was actively planning on amending the 1772 Royal Marriages Act to allow her sister to marry him. And it was in the process. The queen was working on it. Basically, she would renounce her rights to the throne, like she'd be removed from succession. Any of her children that she had with him would not be in line to the throne, but she'd be able to keep her title. She'd be able to keep her allowance, which upon marriage would have been 15,000 pounds a year. She would have been able to keep her charities. She still would have been a member of the royal family. She'd still be the queen's sister. Everything would be exactly 
how she wanted, except she would not be able to inherit the throne if, God forbid, her sister and her sister's children all dropped dead in front of her. So that was in the works. She was a regular churchgoer. Like her faith was very strong. Her belief in the church and God's teachings that divorce is a sin or whatever the church's teachings were at that time. She decided that it wasn't meant to be and they broke up and then she married a crazy person. But that's a whole different story. Mm. I think it's funny that the Church of England is so dead set against divorce. Look who created the Church of England. Yeah, <laughs> right. The Church of England actually changed their decree in 2002 that divorced people can now marry, which is why King Charles is able to be king, because divorce is allowed within the Church of England at the priest's discretion, whatever that means. So they did change. But you think about when this was. With Edward, it was 1937. With Margaret, it was the early 50s. Divorce was taboo regardless of what side of the ocean you lived in or what your religion was. Divorce was not something that you discussed. It wasn't like you were shunned. If you were divorced, like you were not accepted into polite society. So it was a completely different world than it is now. It was starting to change when this all happened with Margaret and Peter Townsend. The people were on her side. The people loved her. So it all started to change. And the queen was willing to do whatever it took to make her sister happy, which is where the crown got it wrong. But it's sad. I wonder if it was love or if it was a part of the grief process. But I also wonder, would she have been happier with him than the marriage she actually ended up with, which was not a very happy marriage and pretty much made her miserable. And they both had successive affairs and all that fun stuff. But it, it makes you wonder like what her life could have been if she'd actually found genuine happiness. Yeah, poor Margaret. They do, they, whoever they are, say the only man that she ever truly loved was her father. So that's what really pulls me into this whole Peter Townsend thing. Not that she didn't love him or have affection for him, but it was a grief thing. It was trying to replace that father figure in her life. It was 16 years between them. He was very close with her father. He was very close with the whole family. So I think it was just that trying to patch that hole in her heart that she had. Makes sense. Grief makes you do crazy things. So moving on, I don't think a lot really happened until the 90s, besides a man breaking into the palace and whatever, but snuck into the queen's bedroom and all that stuff. But for all family-wise, it wasn't really until the early 90s, 92, that all hell broke loose. And let's see, you had two divorces from the queen's children and one separation. So that's Anne, Andrew and Fergie, and Charles and Diana. So 92 was not a good year for the royal family by any means of the imagination, at least when it comes to relationships, hmm. which is crazy. That was bad. Yeah. Yeah. But, and let's see, as a result, so I guess my question is to you, Jennifer, for the whole Fergie-Andrew thing, I guess we can start with them, but did her selling whatever, was that before the divorce or trying to find it? I just had it. She like sold secrets or whatever to the- That was after. Oh. Way after the divorce. That was- more recent. That was within like the last 10 years or so. It was a trap. 2010. Yeah. No. Yeah. But Fergie or Sarah Ferguson, Duchess of York, and Andrew, Duke of York, really what started them 
scandalized was the pictures of Fergie on two different occasions. One was she was with somebody and they were sucking her toes. And then after the separation, but same year, there was a picture of her topless with a different guy or something. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think the royal family had a lot of hard lessons to learn. And I think they all learned like in 92, the Annus Horribilis, that they were Duke and Duchess of York did not spend many days together married because he was in the military. He was off doing whatever. They never caught either Fergie or Diana really the ropes. They just threw them into the deep end and said, hey, figure it out on your own. So there was a lot of mistakes made with both of them. And basically everything came to terms in the 90s. Everything fell apart. The 90s were a horrific decade for the royal family. Sarah and Andrew separate. They eventually get divorced. She's got the pictures on tabloids of her topless or getting her toes sucked, which basically is why Philip would never allow her involved in anything after that point. The queen still got along with her and would invite her to things if Philip wasn't going to be there. But that ended very badly. And then he was the spare. So yeah, it was a big deal because it was tabloid fodder and it was embarrassing and everything else but it wasn't the big deal that charles and diana was that was completely different oh boy yeah oh my goodness and then princess anne got divorced and she has since remarried like you mentioned they went to scotland yeah they got married in scotland he actually worked for her mother in pretty much the same role as peter townsend started for its father he was an equerry, so he was known within the household. And they've been married all these years since. She got married pretty quickly. They did get married in Scotland because the Church of Scotland doesn't care if you're divorced or not. And he stayed in the Navy. He supports her and uh, Anne's ex-husband is a slimeball. But yeah, it worked out. Honestly, the, the only child out of the four that had any kind of normalcy in a relationship was Prince Edward. And Sophie Reese jones had her own saga of trying to basically get people to pay her to get access to the royal family. That all happened in the 90s too. But uh, she got past that and now the two of them don't cause any problems. Been married forever. And then the mighty three-person marriage of oh god, <laughs> Princess Diana, Charles, and Camilla. Camilla Parker Bowles. It's pretty bad when they market the term War of the Waleses. Like it's gotten to a certain level when you can Google search War of the Waleses and like this comes up. It was a full decade really because it started in like 87, 88 ish and she died in what, 97. So it was like a full decade of just the two of them slinging shots at each other, using the media against each other. They each had media that was on their side and it's all tabloids. It's not anything like legitimate and basically leaking stories and taking pot shots at each other and it's horrifically sad how it ended but yeah the whole entirety of diana being in the royal family changed the royal family in ways that i don't think they ever could have foreseen it changed the way that they bring new people into the family and how they treat them it changed how they interact with people everybody knows diana hugging the aids patient and all. that was not something that the royal family did and she did it she didn't care she was passionate about the things that she was passionate about aids was one of them and at the time people thought you could get aids by touching somebody nobody knew and she didn't care but these these were things that she was passionate about. So she really just changed the whole trajectory of the royal family. And you're still seeing that today. 
You see how Kate was brought out very slowly. Once they got engaged, she was brought out. She wasn't brought out any time before then, though she still had to deal with the packs of reporters following her up until that point. But even once they got married, she was very slow to pick up engagements. They really took their time using her to the public, letting her get a feel. I think maybe a year before she gave her first solo speech, they really took their time trying to utilize the lessons that they had to learn the hard way with Diana. Not that Diana made her life easy because a lot of what happened, you can place the blame at Diana's feet. It really was her own worst enemy in a lot of instances. She basically helped write the book that started the ball rolling with Andrew Morton. That's what led to their separation. And then the Panorama interview where she said, there's three of us in the marriage. That's what finally made the queen decide, no, you're getting divorced. That's it. Diana never wanted a divorce. She wanted her husband. But both of them, Charles and Diana, both started having affairs in like 86, 87. Like they both started at the same time. She didn't help herself. But yeah, they unfortunately had a lot of lessons to learn. But wasn't Charles's relationship with Camilla long he had started a relationship with her long before he got married to Diana and then they stopped he and Camilla had a relationship years before Diana and the royal family decided that she was not an eligible bride for him she was deemed not worthy mostly because she wasn't a virgin and she got married he never posed to Camilla I don't know if she would have said yes who knows at this point but she got married. They were platonic when he and Diana got married. By all counts, they did not rekindle their romance until 86, 87, though they did still have a very strong friendship, I guess, is a companionship. They were very close. They had the same interests. Him and Diana had none of the same interests. Huge age gap. They had nothing in common. But yeah, they wasn't it more like it was almost like an emotional affair to start. It's probably an emotional affair. Camilla was his first love. If you believe in soulmates, she's probably his soulmate. I don't know that he wanted to get married to Diana, but he was getting older. He was old. He was, what, 30? And it was, when the hell are you going to get married and give us an heir? The family wasn't the only people giving him this. It was the entirety of the commonwealth it was everybody like when are you gonna marry and give us an heir every single woman he dated or even was seen in public with was hounded so finally it was like you need to marry but yeah i would agree that it was an emotional affair that doesn't make it any easier to take that it was emotional and not sexual it's actually worse right it's still an affair it might be a little bit worse because it's a part of you that you're giving to somebody else that you're not gonna give to me yeah they reportedly did not start their affair until 86, 87. Diana started her affair with James Hewitt around the same time. They both started about 86, 87. Don't know if Diana had affairs before that. Her and Charles were pretty good around up until like after Harry's birth. She had stated that the time during her pregnancy and after her birth with Harry was the closest the two of them were ever together. So sometime 85-ish, the wheels fell off. Yeah. She also talked about the fact that she had postpartum depression as well after the birth of both children, I think. I don't want to say this is definite. Allegedly, maybe, possibly. She had mental health issues. There, There's mm -hmm. conjecture, rumor, supposition that maybe she had borderline personality disorder. I have no idea. Don't know if anybody 
nobody can make that diagnosis without actually meeting her. But she did have issues. She was bulimic. She allegedly said that she tried to commit suicide while she was pregnant with William. She admitted to self-harm. She would cut because she had depression. And some of these were before she was pregnant with William. Some of them, the bulimia started during the engagement. So whether it was a clinical diagnosable issue or just she had a tough childhood as well. There was a lot of things stacked up against her, but she definitely could have benefited from seeking help from a therapist or something along those lines. But I don't know that was acceptable from anybody at that point. And mental health has really only become an acceptable thing to talk about recently. Yeah, very true. I'm guessing that's why like Harry and Will and Kate, like their big initiative was mental health. And I'm sure it stems a lot from their mother. With Catherine, her mental health thing started with addiction. And her big thing is the early years and getting these kids off to the best start, getting kids in general off to the best start and how the first five years are the most important in your growth as a human and how when bad things happen they, that stick with you, they happen when you're young. Addiction, all these things that affect families and it all ties into mental health and Harry brought it to the military. So they all came about it organically and then all realized, actually Harry had said Catherine was the one who put it together for the heads together that they started, that mental health really is the key to everything. Getting that treated is really the key to solving many issues. The truth, it's the truth. And then... The other thing that happened in 1992 was the Windsor Castle fire, which was a devastating blow, to say the least. 115 rooms were destroyed, and the restoration cost about 60 million U.S. dollars. Oh, I could totally believe that. I guess real scandal was that because it was, I guess, owned or whatever by the government, government was like oh well the country will pay for it and the citizens were like uh no don't think so you're not taking that out of my taxes and all that stuff and that's when the queen said she would start paying taxes basically yeah she had agreed to pay taxes before that it just hadn't been announced yeah the windsor fire was horrific just in the things that were lost so you figure the castle's been there for a millennia it was built over a thousand years ago so just the things that were potentially lost it is horrific Forget the fact that it's a home and it was the queen's favorite home and she basically had to watch her home burn after three of her four children just disappointed her left and right by everybody cheating on each other and everybody having wars in the papers and basically being a mess. But yeah, she had agreed they hadn't released it when the fire happened. I think it was the home secretary who's like in charge of all that stuff basically said that the government would take care of fixing Windsor Castle because it's not privately owned. It's held by the trust. The people basically flipped out because this is the queen's home. Like, why are they paying to fix fire that happened in the and nobody's fixing my fire if my house burns down. So basically it was announced that after the words that the queen was going to pay tax, which was the first, they opened up Buckingham Palace to like tours and stuff like that. So they've raised a lot of money and that's basically how they paid for it by opening things up and allowing people to pay money to go see the goods. Including me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't you? They've opened it up even more now. So it used to just be open like a short amount of time, a couple weeks, but now it's like open like the whole summer. Well, not now because they're fixing it, but that's how they're making a lot of money to keep up with the upkeep of these places is that they're doing tours. They have gift shops. They've got the whole tourist trap down pat and uh, absolutely you, you go. What else are you going to do? Yeah, I only briefly went into Windsor Castle. This was like... God, 20 years ago, but a little bit I did 
get to see. They do have some of the crowns at Windsor Castle, and I believe some of the jewels in the collection are also on display in there. There may be more at Buckingham, but... I don't think you can go in there unless the queen or now the king is not in residence, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think usually it's like the tours and stuff happen during the summer or whatever. You get to see the state rooms. You don't get to see the private rooms, which, I mean, of course, because you'd have people going through private stuff because people can't help themselves. But yeah, they've opened more and more things up to try and help offset the cost. It's expensive to keep these places up and running but yeah windsor castle is really what started the whole tours of places and now windsor castle looks not brand new but not fire damaged which is good it's a stone building it's hard to imagine it being fire damaged but inside's not stone inside is wood (laughs) that burns pretty fast and it's like old wood it's not young that stuff went right up it was they got most of the stuff out i think i don't think they lost anything like major i think the only things they really lost was like like the wallpaper that was 100 years old or 200 years old or things like that but most like all the artwork and stuff like that they got out right yeah yeah and then let's see i think the next major thing that happened was really the response after Princess Diana's death. The people (laughs) were not happy with the royal family and the queen. And I really feel like this was the first time that the queen had a lot of negativity toward her during her reign because beloved Diana. I have very strong emotions about this. If I could slap every member of the public, I probably would. And I didn't have strong emotions about it until we lost dad. How dare you sob and carry on over somebody that you loved but didn't know and expect the actual family members including her two teenage sons technically harry was not a teenager yet her two young sons to come out and console you who the hell do you think you are how dare you sit there And wonder where the queen, where is our queen? Why isn't she consoling us? Why isn't she coming down here and helping us get through this national tragedy? I'm sorry. She was with her grandsons who just lost their mother tragically. Pretty sure it's a little more important for her to be there with them and protect them than to come down here for your sorry asses and pat you on the back and say, it's okay, you'll survive. It was the one time in her life that she put her family first and she paid for it and it sucks. It changed everything because now, you know, they have to handhold the public. But she was protecting and consoling her grandsons who lost their mother. You lost nobody. Like you, Mr. You know, person in the public, Joe Schmo down the street, you did not lose anybody. You lost somebody that you put on a pedestal who you thought you knew, but these boys lost their mother and you should not expect anything from a grieving family. It's absolutely ridiculous. It, it still makes me mad. Like I have very strong feelings about this. Don't say. <laughs> I can still remember watching the news and hearing that she died. Yeah, I do too. And then watching the funeral and seeing Harry and William walking behind her casket, along with Prince Charles and her brother, was it? Um, yeah, and Prince Philip. And watching all of that. And granted, I'm the same age as William. I'm like six months older than William. So I remember watching that. And I just remember thinking to myself, the absolute heartbreak I had for the children, for both those boys. And I didn't even know them at all your best friends right 
yeah, they're like my best friends right now. I go see Harry and Wills all the time. <laughs> Not a huge fan of Megan, but it's okay. Yeah. Travel from Montecito to Kensington Palace, right? Exactly. Every damn day. All the time. But just feeling and just no feeling my heart break for them. Because granted, I've never at that point in time, I had not lost anyone that close to me. Yeah. Me neither. I, she, she, when was that? It was in 97. It was in early 97, wasn't it? She Yeah, she died in August and then she, yeah, her funeral was in September. Yeah, because we were on vacation. Yeah, she passed in August. My grandfather passed in July of that same year. So I was already grieving a family member, so... I could feel my heart absolutely breaking for these two boys, even though I had no tears to cry for my own damn grandfather because of a medication that I was on at the time. I know, Samantha, because I remember exactly where we were, you know, what happened. Our father's the one who told us we were on vacation. It was shock. How could this be? She's only 30 something years old. And the funeral itself, I remember it just being so sad, but I'd never really lost anybody. And then when our father died, obviously everything changes once you lose somebody who's close to you. And that just changed my whole outlook. I can't imagine having to grieve publicly. I hated grieving at the cemetery in front of those people. So I can't imagine having to grieve that publicly. And it just makes me so angry that these people felt that they deserved attention from the queen. Meanwhile, she's being a grandmother and attending to her grandsons who just lost their mother in the most sudden and horrific way. Yeah, and they weren't even allowed to grieve properly. That was the biggest part. At the time, obviously, I didn't understand that because I was only 14, I think 14, 15 years old. It's like 15 years old. So I wasn't even, at the time, I didn't really understand it. But now, looking back, I'm like, they didn't even get the chance to grieve properly for the loss of their mother. And when a death happens, especially when that's sudden, you can't grieve properly. Like, like your brain doesn't function. Like, you're just going through the motions at that point. And to have to do that on the world stage at 14 and 12 or however old those two boys were. You used to watch the videos of them. They were at Balmoral and they come out because nobody had seen the queen or the family and people were upset. So they did basically like a photo call and came out at Balmoral to look at the flowers. And there are Harry and William having to go up to the crowd that's there. And I'm just like, you people, you didn't know her. You had her on a pedestal. You knew her. You knew what she wanted you to know of her, which is any public person. They show you what they want you to see, good or bad. So you knew who you thought you knew. But this was their mother. It just still kills me to this day that these people basically pitched a fit because the queen didn't come back from Balmoral and help them while they were grieving or fly the flag or anything. And meanwhile, she's doing the most human thing you can do, which is take care of your own. Right. Yeah. Obviously, we're going to talk about like the Harry Meghan thing. But one thing that I've seen like with all of his recent interviews and stuff was him talking about after his mother died and how strange it was to him having to go and almost console these strangers. And he like always mentioned how he just couldn't understand these people who were like weeping in front of him. And we talked about the one time where someone who couldn't get to where the flowers were handed him the flowers for him to go bring the flowers over to the rest of the pile. And he was like the middleman. And then being someone that has lost someone extremely close to you and whatever. And I got to grieve privately. We got to grieve privately for the most part, obviously, except for the funeral. I honestly cannot imagine 
basically being forced out into the world to then grieve in public when you as Jennifer said like you're still trying to come to terms with it and I, I do think that has caused a lot of the mental struggles that at least Harry I'm sure William has them as well but Harry still deals with and he even made mention that him and William didn't believe that she was dead for the longest time they thought she was going to call them and tell them where she was so that they can go to her like they didn't believe it because they never got a chance to get that closure. Can't even imagine. So horrific. Ugh. Yeah, I really think Carrie's issues, and I know that we're going to talk about this another day, but I still think Carrie is that 12-year-old boy. I don't think he's moved past that point. I don't know that William, first of all, you never get over the death. Let's just put that out there. You don't get over the death. It's not, you know, how many times I was asked, when are you going to move on? When are you going to get over it? You don't get over it. It just doesn't happen. But I think Harry has not moved past the person he was as that 12-year-old boy. I think his growth or maturity or however you want to put it, I think it's been stunted. And he, out of both of them, was affected the most or is still affected the most. It's not that he was affected most of the time. I think he might still be affected the most. I think William has been able to move past it to the point that he still carries it with him, but he doesn't let it dictate every week and second. Yeah, because he is the older brother. Yeah, and he was older when it happened. Harry was 12. It's not an easy age for anybody, but he was a little kid. And William was really his mother's confidant. She leaned on him like she would a friend. She didn't treat him like a son. She treat him as a peer he was the one who cleaned up her messes he was the one who dried her tears and she would tell everything too so it was definitely a different relationship between the two sons and their mother she really forced him to grow up early because she needed that person to lean on and she chose her son to be the person that she leans on so i think that may have helped like he was already being older more mature it changes how, how you grieve. Samantha and I were in much different places when our father died. I was out of college. I was working. Samantha was in high school. It's a completely different experience. And the same thing for William and Harry. I think Harry's never dealt with what happened. I think he avoided it for way too long. And now it's nothing left to do but deal with it. I think another thing with Harry and William is William, not only was he older when his mother died, but he was also being technically, and I hate to use the term, but groomed to take over as once his grandmother passed, which she recently has, God rest her soul, and now his father is king. And when his father passes, he will become king. He was already being groomed for that at a very early age. So I think that brought on a level of maturity to him that Harry did not have to have because Harry was never going to be king ever unless something happened to Queen Elizabeth and then Charles and then William all in one fell swoop. That is the only way Harry was ever going to be king. And I think also, going back to the boys' relationship, there was, I think, I hate putting this out there because I don't know that it's true, but a parentification of William, Diana really relied on him for too much. And so that changes relationships. He was forced to be the grown-up in the relationship where Harry still got to be the kid. They were always going to have different paths that they were going to walk down because Harry had a whole lot more freedom than William from the moment he was born, his entire life was laid out for him. He got to make very little choices in his life for good or bad. So I think we're definitely like now, especially like in the last two years, you're really seeing the difference of the two of them become much more clearer. Right. Yeah. We'll be talking all about that next week. Yeah. 
Yep, yep, yep. All right, so trying to think of the list here. The more recent Andrew scandal. Hey, Prince Andrew, his downfall. And uh, yeah. Oh, boy. Pretty much with this one is that Prince Andrew was very good friends with Epstein, the infamous <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein, who is, or was, I should say, a former financier and convicted sex offender who basically sex trafficked these women, a lot of them underage, especially in Prince Andrew's case, uh, minor and they would have sex with them and rape them and all that stuff. And the girl that had accused Prince Andrew for being raped in 2001 was a minor at the time. He did have to go to Manhattan for court, which, of course, just caused so much issues with the royal family because, you know, basically tarnishing the reputation. He settled and... The queen stripped him of all of his military, but basically of everything. He's no longer his royal highness, all of his military medals, everything gone. And now that Queen Elizabeth is gone, Charles took it a step further where Prince Andrew is not even welcome to Buckingham Palace anymore. So he's basically been completely cut off by the royal family as a result. Can't say that's a wrong thing. I think Queen Elizabeth, granted, again, she did take away pretty much everything from him, but he was still her son. So she still wanted to see him or whatever. But now that she's gone, Charles has just completely cut him off and he will now live in <laughs> infamy. It's crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Really, the guy is a scumbag. You want to talk about an entitled, completely entitled person. And I think this goes way back to childhood. I'm a prince. You should genuflect before me. You should treat me special because I'm a prince and you're not. My mommy is queen and yours isn't. Always wanting special treatment. If it didn't go his way, he was whining. He pitched a fit because his daughters, who are blameless in everything, but his daughters weren't getting the same treatment as William and Harry and pitched a fit because his daughters are the only blood princesses of their generation. I guess he's forgetting about Edward's daughter, Lady Louise, who technically is a blood princess of that generation. He made a comment right before Eugenie's wedding that it was so big because they have so many more friends than Harry and Meghan who didn't have as big of a wedding. Like it just completely entitled jackass. So do I believe all the allegations? 100%. Do I think he should ever be allowed back into public life? Absolutely not. Will they strip him of his titles? No, they will not. See, I don't think they'll strip anybody of those titles because it's not up to the monarch to do that. You need an act of parliament to do that. And I don't think they're willing to take that step because that just opens up Pandora's box in the future. But yeah, complete jackass. I have no doubt in my mind that he's completely guilty of everything he was accused of. And I'm pretty sure that the non-disclosure expires soon for the girl. I think I saw that somewhere. Maybe she'll write a book. But when you're talking about royal titles, so as I mentioned, he's no longer his royal highness, but we're talking about his dukedom. He is still the Duke of York and will remain the Duke of York until his death. But yeah, other than that, though. He's pretty much a nobody at this point. Yeah. But he was like really good friends with Jeffrey Epstein. In fact, I believe it was Fergie that he had Jeffrey Epstein pay off a lot of her debt and stuff like that. That's how close of friends they were. So you can't sit there and tell me that he wasn't involved with 
that whole thing amongst other people. He's only one of the several major fish, but you can't sit there and tell me that he wasn't involved. I will not believe you. Will not believe but yeah, so those are pretty much all of obviously except for now the more recent scandal that is still ongoing, which is obviously Prince Harry and Meghan versus the royal family. But other than that's pretty much everything from the abdication to now. That's more than enough. They've had more than their share of tabloid stories and they're not even tabloid stories they're like legit news stories they all happen yeah they've had more than their fair share yeah it really just cannot be easy having family drama out in the open and in the public we all come from big families and extended families and there's always something happening whether it's your branch or maybe another branch of the family, something is happening and having millions and billions of people knowing all the dirty laundry going on is just... You couldn't pay me to be in the royal family. Absolutely not. First of all, your life is not your own, especially the closer in line you are to the throne, the less of a life you have. But you really just couldn't pay me and that's crazy. As much as I love royal families, especially the British royal family, because I think we're the closest to them yeah i'd like to be a part of it to see behind the scenes of everything no nope there's too big of a target on you that even when you do nothing wrong you will do something wrong he's always looking to make sure that your eyes are dotted and your t's are crossed but god forbid you don't dot that eye the way they want it to somebody in the press is going to pick it out yeah which interestingly we will probably talk about that next episode <laughs> very true very very true all right anything else anyone wants to add nope all right well yeah and jennifer thank you for joining us this evening and we'll talk to you next week also thank you for having me thanks for listening everyone catch us next time and see what we're going to talk about because the three fates decide